everyone. Welcome back to the show. This week, I am joined by the wonderful Sam Conniff. Sam is an author, co-founder of an award-winning social enterprise, and he's recently written and directed a fascinating documentary, Uncertainty Experts, which explores our relationship with uncertainty and change. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation right at the start of the show I started off just by saying one hour is not going to be enough to get through all of the things in depth that I really wanted to talk to Sam about and I think at one point in the episode he actually starts asking me the questions and I become the interviewee for a while which is fun as well to really yeah like dive deep I guess and down into topics around around fear and around regret and around our approach to risk and change and and uncertainty so really really fascinating stuff I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And if so, please do let us know. You can rate and review the show on iTunes. You can share it, get in touch on Instagram. Let us know if you are enjoying the Power Hour and let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Sam, welcome to the Power Hour podcast. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you all week. I am so excited that you're joining us on the show. Thanks. Thanks very much indeed for having me. I am too. And I'm uh, going to try and maintain the energy levels that you've inspired me with through your, through your Instagram. And even when I opened the thing this morning to see you being excited and mega pumped, I was like, right, that's why I had to go and grab some caffeine <laughs> so, so that we can be on the same on the same high energy level for the next hour. I love that. I love that you need caffeine to, to reach me where I'm at. Um, yeah, but to yeah, be honest with you, Sam, I really wish that we had, I feel like I should have scheduled this as a double power hour. It should have been two hours long because really honestly I don't even know where to start there's so much that I want to discuss with you I feel like so much of your work and your talks and your book and the work that you do and are doing really really resonates with me a lot and so as I was trying to think about you know what questions I was going to ask you as I was researching you the thing that kind of why it resonated so much for me was this idea of change and I think so much of the work that you've done with with Liberty you know a a youth-led purpose-driven award-winning social enterprise marketing agency that has helped to change the lives of thousands of young people you know there's a lot of your work is based around that idea of you know service of others and community and change your book be more pirate you know that's encouraging us to to be rule breakers and change makers and encouraging us to rethink things and you know just because they've always been that way doesn't mean they should always be that way and again this idea of change for a lot of people you know, change is inevitable. It's something, probably the only thing that is certain is change. And for me in the work that I do, I'm always thinking about innovation, rethinking, you know, self-improvement, iterating things, making things better and and high performance and how we can kind of, yeah, set things up and and make changes. So change is this big theme, I think, for, for both of us. And so that's where I really want this conversation to start. So Sam, what do you think about, what comes to mind for you when you think about the word change? I I think it's good um, observation that that is the common thread through so much of the work. Um, 
And I think there's there's a couple of things around change because um, one thing that I discovered over time is that change isn't necessarily or isn't normally kind of a, a day and night scenario. Um, and that's often how I think it's presented. You know, we, we're going to go and do this big thing or we've got to turn this around or I need to become this. And so we present this dichotomy, which then makes it more difficult. And the truth is change is happening anyway. It's inevitable. It's taking place all the time. And so as I began to get my head around the sense that change is evolutionary and always in process, you begin to be able to navigate it and manage it a little bit more differently. So change is inevitable and uh, it's constant. And where you play your role is intentionally determining what the outcome is going to be so very rarely is it this kind of big day one scenario where all of our forces are going to go into this switch and then from that point forward everything will be different like those kind of changes very rarely happen but that's often how we set it up into this Mm. into this drama which i think makes it more difficult and and that's been a, yeah. a, a journey of understanding for me. And once I really got my head around it, I, I, it became clear that I was really able to help other people on their journeys of change by, by making it more of a transition and an evolution rather than this, this kind of great big event. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And again, trying to draw some similarities, I think that, you know, so much of the work that I do, people will often say I do lots of different things. And it's the same if someone, you know, as soon as they Google your name, or they go on your website, or they, you know, they'll see all these different things. And actually, the thread for me that ties it all together is that idea of, you know, helping others to improve, as I said, to, to become high performing, whether that's professional or personal, whether that's training for a marathon, starting a company, you know, I speak to a lot of employees of organizations and it is about that as you said it's not just a switch of okay everything's going to change but it's more about okay how can you yeah make things a little bit better how can you what systems what tools what habits like routines I'm really big on all of that stuff but when I was thinking about change firstly I thought about I think a really important thing when it comes to change is choice and Mm. I think when you start to think about change that is forced upon you or change that is I guess necessity so for example losing a job or losing somebody or a change that you had you know what I mean there's no choice involved you didn't choose that I think it's very very different to change which is empowered through choice when you say I want to do something different or I'm going to change my job or my relationship or or start something new so yeah how can we I guess, think about change when it's out of our control and when we don't have that choice. I think it comes, I think it begins with the, the relationship that you have with it. Um, in my new project, The Uncertainty Experts, I had about 3,000 people go through the initial workshopping stage when I was still really trying to work out what, what the idea even was. Um, and I was asking similar questions. And this is summertime 2020, so pandemics in full um, uh, sprint, um, but it's being knocked off the headlines by Black Lives Matter. This, this, you know, the 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 inclusion of climate catastrophe is becoming bigger because the wildfires that were spreading at the time. So this real sense of uh, perilous uncertainty. And my question was, what are the main negative impacts of uncertainty on you personally as an individual? And lots of different things were said, but they could be summarised into three categories. And the first one of those was fear. And when I pushed into that and looked at all the subsets of data, in equal positioning, the two things that people feared most and equally was a fear of change and a fear of things not changing. And that, like, kind of that paradox sums it up. That's how we feel about change. We desperately want things to change and we're desperately scared of them changing. And you see it in the 
in the larger narratives, when we talk about the new normal and we talk about build back better, it, it, just listen to the, the semantics. They are all backward facing narratives. We have an innate uh, belief that there's, there's reassurance or safety in the things that we know even though we know that normal was part of the problem. Like normal is a deeply unjust system that's skewed towards its own self-destruction and we'd still rather stay with what we know. And the kind mm -hmm. of the truth of it or my observation of it is human beings don't tend to change until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain of change itself. And the rest of the time we just spend worrying about change or talking about it or saying what it is that we want to do. And so... That's what I mean. Like, you know, amongst all those different things I've said that deep down inside there is, is your, our relationship with the idea of change itself and to move from wow. it's this dramatic moment or it's this thing to be scared of, or it's this thing that I really need to happen, but can I get there? It's, it's a permanent thing that happens as much as you breathing. You have no control. Change is going to come and holding on to fixed ideals of things in the past is, is that, you know, whilst that feels like it's going to make you safer, it's completely the opposite. It's going to make you more fragile and more at risk. So understanding that change is essential, necessary, and that you can develop your ability to cope with it and turn it from something that feels like it's constantly, you know, wrong footing you. to actually something that gives you, you know, an ability to exercise and something that will make you stronger and better and probably happier too. Wow, it's very powerful hearing you describe, you know, that need for what we know and our fear of unknown whilst simultaneously craving change, but that actually we won't implement change until we absolutely have to. Like that is fascinating to me. And for anyone who's who's not already heard about the uncertainty experts, Sam, you've written and directed uh, a live interactive and immersive documentary. And you touched on, you know, the, the, the research that's gone into this from, from UCL. So could you, yeah, tell us a little bit, I guess, about how that, that came to, to be? And was there anything that really stood out and shocked you about that research whilst you were writing and directing this, this documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, I'll, start, I'll start with a bit of um, the research that I've seen and then I'll go back to the beginning of, of, of how it came to be because I think you'll like this and we've only just kind of seen it in the, in the most up-to-date analysis of the data so it hasn't been shared anywhere else. Um, in the, through the process of Uncertainty Experts, um, the audience gets asked a series of questions and in, in one of the early episodes, uh, the question is asked of people, what is their greatest fear? And that's not because we're just trying to put people on the spot or make anyone feel uncomfortable. But if you as a human being are aware of what your greatest fear is, it gives you strength, not weakness. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because if you call to mind your greatest fear, and I mean, do it, let's do it now. If we say what's our greatest fear, and I don't mean like the obvious, like something bad happening to our kids or, or, or running out of money, or, you know, those are, those are genuine fears. Yes, of course. But um, that's our, our short-term instincts. Like our actual greatest fear, the slippery thing that even when you kind of pull it to mind, it's kind of hard to hang on to because it's so uncomfortable to us. Um, and the reason for asking people this question is if you, if you, if you navigate more towards that, if you call it to mind more, if you, if you have a relationship with it and you're familiar with it, you'll be less triggered when short term fears or, or small problems in your life happen because they're always hitting on that cord, that, that nerve ending that you've got. And the closer, uh, threats or volatility in the world is to your darkest fear, the more vulnerable you will be to it. So the more you shine a light on it, you're never going to overcome it completely, but you can change your relationship with fear. And about 86% of the audience of the vast, vast majority came back and said their greatest fear is failure. 
that's what they you know mm. that's it that's the thing you don't that's the thing you don't want and i get that of course we get that we all get that look at any situation and there's there's real um scientific evidence behind that because a long long while ago um survival was based on social groups and the last thing you want to be is a failure because you you risk being pushed out of the social group so your your survival is actually at risk because of failure or it certainly once was now, later in, the epi- later in the series, a different question is asked, and this question is posed by uh, John Peters, who was a prisoner of war in the first uh, Iraq conflict. He was tortured and he was nearly executed, and he, he tells the story of this, this position of real uncertainty and how in that moment he was hit by this kind of this one word, this one word, which was how he wanted to live his life. And, and, and he did obviously live his life and succeeded, but he's held this word with him everywhere he's gone. And it's helped him avoid regrets. And so he asks a question to the audience, you know, what is, if you, if you can work out now whilst you're still in the middle of your life and enjoying your life, what is it that you least want to regret? Like you just don't want to, don't want to end up when it's too late to do something about it, knowing what this regret is. And so, you know, we asked that out of the room. And about 90%, so even greater majority, said the one thing they least want to regret later in life is missed opportunity. Now, if you go back to that earlier mm-hmm. statistic, what's the one thing most likely to lead to missed opportunity? Well, it's fear of failure, of course. And so these two things suddenly sit together. So if our greatest fear, for understandable reasons, is failing, but if we can project ourselves into our very own futures and the last thing we want to do is look back and regret missed opportunity, well... If you can hold those two thoughts in mind, or even if you can hold those two states in mind, one of your future self and one of your present self, well, the regret is going to be much greater, uh, a far more motivating thing to consider than the short-term fear you might have. And by holding on to that, that, that desire not to have that future regret, you might just find you're more able to navigate your way through the immediate fear of failure. And I just found that a really interesting insight and 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 you know duality to hold together and and hopefully that's a useful thing for people who are experiencing some fear oh it's super interesting and before just before you go on to tell us about you know how how you came to get to doing the uncertainty experts in the first place as you were talking i was sitting here you know nodding along with a smile on my face because i'm in my office at the moment i'm in my home office we're recording remotely and on the wall next to me i have a printout my sister printed and framed for me it's my own words which is kind of like you know to remind myself really um it's my own words It's, it's actually from my book and it says inaction is the greatest risk of all and the reason i have that there is because you know when you were talking about you know what people's greatest fear is and you know many people it being failure i suppose mine isn't you know a million miles away from that but when i've thought about this question before i often think you know what would you fear or or, yeah what's your your fear and mine is actually complacency i fear complacency i'm always you know not to get too deep on it, but I'm always, you know, challenging myself to to remain in this, I, you know, this striving and doing because I fear complacency. And actually, I guess that is quite linked to failure. But that idea of missed opportunity and that so many people, for whatever reason, if they've had, unfortunately, I feel like people wait until something terrible happens. You know, they get a cancer diagnosis or somewhere they lose somebody, and then they then they say, right, I'm going to change my life. I'm, you know, life's too short. I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to have missed opportunity. And so with so much of the work that I do, I'm often trying to say to people, don't wait. You know, even the concept of time and the power hour, don't wait for something to change your whole life or to kind of be a catalyst for change. You don't need to wait for a catalyst. You know, it's really important that you think about, yeah, not having missed opportunities in your life and build your life in a way that is, of course, like I say, fear of failure. It's in all of us. But what's 
for me, like I say, the greatest risk of all is inaction. Because for me, it comes down to, again, risk. And I'd, I'd love to maybe just ask you a little bit about that and how you, how does risk kind of play into that? Because that's what unknown is, isn't it? It's thinking, well, maybe I'll get everything I want or maybe it'll go really well. Oh, but maybe it won't. And maybe I'll yeah have this public failure and then what do I do? So how do we start to think about risk when we're evaluating fear and, and opportunity? So... The, the work kind of centers around the idea of uncertainty um, because I think that it's an opportunity to get our hands on the real challenge of the day. And I'm going to come back to why this is, is, is a strategy for risk um, because there's a lot of people walking around at the moment who think, well, uncertainty is not really my problem. My problem is my anxiety levels or the sleeplessness I'm facing or my worry about work or um, the impact of all this on my health, you know. And, and it's true, those are all real, real challenges real people are facing every day. But they're all connected, and they're all connected by something, and they're all connected by uncertainty. Uncertainty is the underlying or the meta challenge, you know, the challenge that sits above the other challenges. Uh, some recent research from University of Tokyo in coordination with international universities shows clearly that uncertainty is the number one driver of anxiety disorder globally, bar none. And... Uh, uncertainty is what sits behind economic um, upheaval. Uncertainty is what sits behind community cohesion. Communities with a low tolerance to uncertainty, it's proven, are more likely to fall for populist policies or conspiracy theories, more likely to have conflict and division, whereas societies with greater tolerance for uncertainty because you're able to sit in in discomfort and, and hold on to ambiguity. So where this comes back to risk is I think it's an alternative method so risk is different from uh, uncertainty because risk is often about probabilities. How likely is this thing going to be that is going to happen to you? And so it's a useful tool to assess when uh, you may be safe to make a choice. You know, when is it safe to cross this road? And there's a my favourite risk assessment is very simple, um, uh, and it was from Colin Powell, the probably the most successful. Um, actually most successful politician, I don't know why I was going to call race into it, but just most successful American politician, bar none, regardless of his background, because he served for successive presidents across, three successive presidents across two different political parties, and no one has held that position. Um, and he used to say the safe safe risk zone is between 30 and 70%. If you know less than 30% of the information around something, then it's too risky and you shouldn't do it. Right? If you've only got 20% of the information you need to know, then you can't make a decision, you can't go. Um, however, if you've got more than 70% of the information, if you're one of those people that waits until you know absolutely everything, then you're going to miss the chance and you're not in an innovative space. You're not going to make something new happen. So as long as you've got between 30 and 70% of the information you need, then it's time to take a risk. And I, I just love that as a window. Uh, you know, it gives me a lot of reassurance when I think, fuck me, I don't really know much about this, but maybe I know <laughs> half of what I need to know. I can, I can take a risk. Now, the big difference is uncertainty. So the world is really uncertain. The World Uncertainty Index says it's the most uncertain time human beings have ever lived. And, and that causes all these horrible problems that we feel in our gut and our butterflies in our stomach, the racing of our hearts. And there is a method for overcoming it because it's also true that throughout humanity, periods of uncertainty are what leads us to our greatest opportunities for innovation. Like Most of the great inventions of, of, of human beings have come when we needed the most, when our backs are against the wall, when life's knocked us to our knees once again, it's when we bring it. And that's where resilience comes from. So there is something to be, it's, it's like Nietzsche's old line, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, right? we, we all know that's like axiomatically true retrospectively in our lives. So therefore, isn't it also true looking forward? 
Could you not begin to consider that all of the uncertainty, risks and challenges we face are all a trip to the gym mentally and emotionally, and we will come out, all of them, stronger if we're intentional about them and recognise them for the lessons they are. And in that moment, we separate these two things out. So risk is a window of probability, and uncertainty is a feeling, a skill, an emotion, and a chance to get better at life by beginning to embrace it. Wow. And so people can really start to experience this for themselves if they come to the the immersive documentary as I described. So can you talk to us about exactly what that is and what's, I guess, the purpose of it? Because if we're talking about, you know, uncertainty is inevitable and, you know, of course, as you said, people are walking around with anxiety around fear of the unknown and change. And it's, it's all seems pretty, you know, negative. What's the purpose and where is that positive to say, actually, you know, going through an immersive experience that's going to challenge you to experience more uncertainty and potential fear you know it's like do I want to sign up for that I think I've got enough already in my life so talk to us about oh, yeah. about what we can expect from that it's, it's true it, it is an uncomfortable topic and it's deliberately so and and the series is designed to be immersive to, to be a bit you know it's challenging um people come out of it both kind of exhausted and energized is what it's been described as um but it's deeply optimistic and I am very very optimistic like the future is bound to be uncertain it's predictable to be the decade of disruption the 2020s and I don't want people to be scared of that I want people to be better ready and able to do that and there's this you know things have to change at a fairly profound level the 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 systems that we've got are built on unfairness we haven't successfully separated modern day organizational structures or even the overarching philosophy of capitalism too directly from its colonial start right there's a lot going on structurally that needs massive rethinking and we're in this moment of great volatility and great fragility that that is a chance to surgically change the way things are and and right some of the unjust apparatus that's around us like my 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 fear my would be that for a for a generation who's aware of this that really wants things to change to look back and think god in that moment of great fragility we missed our chance to really rewire things so it's a very deeply optimistic uh, and positive level that I think we we can we can develop our strength and our tools for using these uncertain times to make things better for for us as individuals and certainly us as a society. Um, and that's where the idea comes from. I'm, I've I've always been interested in change, our, our topic of today, and I've tried lots of different ways to bring change about. The panic of the pandemic really really hit me quite hard because I've I've done all right over the last couple of years. The book, Be My Pirate, was relatively successful. Um, my, my businesses have done done good things. And so I was feeling in an all right place. I've got two wonderful little girls. And uh, it was just, you know, just, just on the edge of beginning to feel like, I might have actually done all right. Like, you know, you never, you never actually <laughs> feel the success that people, other people might, you know, project on you or think you've had and, and it's a, you probably get this as well like that you feel surprised when people congratulate you on, on doing well you know like, really i just don't even think i've got started or this has all been a you know huge accident um yeah i feel like they're looking from a distance i think as long as you don't look too closely yeah it's, it's all good <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i mean it must you know you look very impressive and very on top of your on top of your stuff but um yeah, you know, the truth is everybody's walking around feeling like we're an imposter, aren't they? Oh yeah, for sure. And you're doing your you're doing your best, and and perception matters, and it's hard sometimes to, as you say, hear those 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 things and and go, yeah, actually, I have done all right. Because as I said, if you look, you know, if you look closely, then you know all of the the setbacks, all the mistakes, all of the failures, all of the uncertain, you know, things. But you've you've managed to, I guess you managed to succeed a lot Sam you've you've done a lot you've done a lot but you were telling us about when the when the pandemic hit and and where you were at then but it's funny isn't it and I'll I'll, I'll say that but the I wonder 
it's like I wonder when that's ever. Gonna, it's like I've I've always thought that one day I like olives when I'm a grown up, right? And so there's still this part of me that feels like a six year old. It doesn't, you know, embarrassed that I don't like olives, and I kind of feel the same. But there's, there'll be one day when I feel like I've made it, you know. And I just, I don't know. I'm not I'm beginning to wonder whether there ever is, and and how you gracefully accept the congratulations of others without um, lessening the desire to do more. I mean, you must feel if your fear is complacency. I mean that must both drive you forward, but also be kind of exhausting. Like, wh- when do you ever, when do you ever congratulate yourself? Do you? Mm, mm, well, I mean, it's definitely a complex one. And actually, recently had Will Store on on the podcast talking about the status game, and that's really got me thinking about exactly what you just described. Of, you know, when do you kind of look at who you are, what you've achieved? It's kind of a, an ever going, ever evolving thing of status and then we raise the bar higher and then we compare ourselves to other people with higher status than us and so really trying to understand that actually about myself and going okay actually what is the parameters in what you're in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and why and for who so yeah I do feel complacency but only because not that I'm trying to you know impress other people but just because I know that this life is short and we have one yeah. chance to live it and I really do believe that as I said before about people having regrets and thinking oh I wish people tell me all the time in the work that I do after I've delivered a talk after I've delivered a workshop they'll say you know what when this happens, I'm going to do X. You know, when my kids are older, I'm going to do it. When I've lost weight, I'm going to start. When I've saved yeah. some more money, then I'll... Ch- yeah. And it's always when, when, when. And that is why I fear complacency because tomorrow too often stays tomorrow for so many people and it's not promised. So I think I kind of remind myself and I've learned that unfortunately the hard way in my life, but I think that, like I said, don't wait for the catalyst. Don't wait for something bad. You could, You can do that. You can do that now. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's right. So, what's what is what would be your, the the one regret that you don't want to have? Then, seeing as you've already come to terms with the the fear you've got, you know, if there was one regret you really want to avoid later in life, looking back and thinking, "Damn, I did or didn't do that," what would that be? Oh gosh, wow, you're putting me on the spot now. What would it be? What would the regret? I think there was this the thing that I'm slightly obsessed, but there's this um, survey, and it was done by uh, palliative nurses, so work, people working with you know people at the end of their lives and and this question was asked and so obviously only voluntarily um what do you look back on your life and most regret and the the top three were very simply um not spending enough time with friends and family Mm. um not enough travel uh not a very good work-life balance and and i read that and obviously that's poignant and i also thought I really don't want those to be my regrets because in a way they're kind of basic. Like I, 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 I mean, and with respect to people in those moments, but like, I know that I don't want to have the regret of not traveling or seeing my friends and family or work-life balance. Like, what is the deeper regret that I don't want? Like really, like deep down, what do I really want to avoid? If I know what my own potential is, what, what is it? Mm. So what would yours be? Gosh, I really want to think about this. I need longer. I need longer, but I'm reflecting on what you just said about those people. And it is, as you say, not, it's not even to say it's cliche, but I think we, you can understand why people would say those things. So yeah, not spending enough time with friends and family, not exploring and traveling new adventures. But I think actually underneath, okay, okay, the layer underneath that then would be, well, why didn't they choose those things? Because as you said, we Mm -hmm. all know we want to do those things. Of course, who wouldn't? But I think really what stops us from doing that often we will say, well, it's circumstance. You know, I've got a job. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to, I think it's, yep. again, going back to what you talk about with Be More Pirate, it's that we have these ideals or these kind of structures or 
systems that we think we have to follow. And so therefore, as a result, there wasn't enough time for friends and family because you were working or there wasn't enough time for travel and adventure because you had to be responsible and pay your mortgage. And I guess what I take from that is that you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who would ever describe myself as, you know, a rule breaker or a pirate or a, uh, you know, a, a kind of, yeah, rule breaker. But what I do know is that I certainly have never followed, you know, conventional norms or structure, you know, as an example for anyone listening who doesn't know, like, you know, I didn't go to university. I am currently, you know, director of innovation at a tech startup. You know, sometimes I'm the only person in the room who is a woman of color. And sometimes I'm the only person in the room who didn't previously work at Google. And I'm not actually kidding. I'm not actually kidding. So I think, you know, I certainly haven't kind of done things conventionally my entire life. But going back to your question, I really I'm gonna have to give this more thought before I just jump to the first thing that comes to mind but I think it would probably be what would that be at the end of let's come let's come back to it Mm. Um, because something's in there and it will emerge and it's it relates to the story that we're going to talk about of the uncertainty expert so it'd be interesting to come back and see what you think as well if you I mean and and don't let me put you on the on the spot no I'm quite enjoying it I feel like it's uh I'm now being interviewed myself on my show which is great (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I did. I wanted to get into the fear of being complacency because I think that that sounds like there's a, there's another fear beneath that one, but mm. we can come back to that. Okay. Um, so there I was feeling really scared, right? And and worse than scared, I was feeling ashamed um, because a few years before I'd gone through separation with my daughter's mother um, and it was very amicable, but um, it was, you know, a heartbreak and tragedy and particularly for our two little girls. And... Uh, we were just beginning to feel kind of balanced and very luckily like this new lifestyle I had of uh, being an author was was very flexible there was quite a degree of travel in there but the kids are with us you know 50-50 equally and and, and it it enabled us to have this kind of two houses my my ex to set up a business that she was trying to set up and and all was well Um, and when I'd lost all my income uh, and it happened with, for me within like a, a day or two of that first bit of panic. Was I, I relied on events um, very much so. And I didn't realize how vulnerable my business model was. And because we'd gone through the separation, all the costs and everything that come with it, I didn't have any any real reserves. And so, and suddenly like with two homes, I just burnt through what I had like over that year so quickly. Mm. And and the kind of the, sh- the, the vulnerability that I suddenly felt myself in and, the you know the innate chemical like I've failed as a parent now my family is in in a fragile place and just this kind of guilt and shame that came with that that kind of compounded what I thought I was working through of, of divorce and it was a horrible horrible time and the the external uncertainties not feeling like they were getting any getting any clearer and having just really reinvented my career having I left my agencies that I'd run for a long time um, you know, which is a world that I loved working with young people in social enterprise and in, in, with kids from all sorts of challenging backgrounds, a really rewarding thing that just reinvented my, my life completely. And then it just, it just the rug got pulled from under it. Um, and I was looking for advice. I was looking, I was speaking to mentors and I'm looking for wisdom and just was so frustrated by the, the leadership on offer of, of politicians who also, you know, obviously out of their depth too, you know, no one had, had the experience of what we were going through. Mm. Um, and I reached out to a guy who I'd worked with in prisons. Um, and I did lots of work around entrepreneurship in prisons. There's a very, very high rate of intentional entrepreneurship in prisons, kind of understandably. And we ran very successful programs for young people going through the prison system um, to come out and, and launch business ideas. And it had a very high rate of reducing reoffending. And I went to speak to him because I thought he'd be wise, on particularly on the idea of lockdown. Um, uh, not, not to be trite that lockdown is is comparable to prison, but there were there were aspects of his experience that were very useful to me. Um, 
and I, I wrote it up and I spoke to then a couple of the guys that I'd mentored over the years who had started businesses and they'd come through the justice system as well. And all of them, suddenly I'd found the resilience and the, the spark and the creative response to the pandemic that I'd been looking for. And, and this level of leadership, this level of good humoured, adaptive willingness to rebound from this terrible situation and come back at it with force and pride and excitement knocked me for six and I I wrote up the um <clears throat> I wrote up the article and I called it uncertainty experts and I didn't really think much about that as a title I just referred to them as uncertainty experts in the thing and it just took off and it went got shared around the world and, and came back to me and then I was asked if I could do talks on it and I thought well there's something in this and so I reached out to a refugee network um that I've done work with as well also around entrepreneurship and I interviewed a couple of the refugees who started businesses and I found similar patterns. Um, and then I've done lots of work in prison. So I spoke to some other prisoners. I spoke to some uh, ex-addicts. And all of a sudden, this, this thought just began to dawn on me. We have a, a, a leadership that were very out of their depth and not particularly criticizing them or any particular party. But at the time, uh, in the midst of pandemics, Black Lives Matter and a climate catastrophe, we had a cabinet that was made up of only three careers. There were only three careers represented in the entirety of our cabinet. Like That does not suggest the level of dynamic diversity of experience that we need. And in front of us, in our streets and in our cities and in our towns every single day, we have millions of, something like 400,000 refugees in this country, 1.8 million single parents, uh, 800,000 homeless people, 216,000 kids in gangs. I mean, people who deal with uncertainty every day whilst mm. trying to make the best of their lives and it just hit me that we are overlooking and misunderstanding human being human experience of uncertainty and people who are turning this shit around daily and so once i got that right i just started interviewing and interviewing and i found this very clear pattern framework set of decision making tools you know that, that, that allow people to pick themselves back up again and, and try and make the most of their world even though lots of those worlds are, are kind of informal or slightly in the shadows yeah sure but they're still human beings trying to make the best of of, of their lot um and once i'd done enough interviews this real clear framework emerged and i thought i've i've discovered something here and it's called an uncertainty expert and they know how to turn uncertainty into opportunity and i can tell you this it was the advice that saved my life and and i began to build a project based on the advice that they were giving me and and that's how we got to here Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because that's, it's really exciting actually. It's really exciting. And I'm going to hear you say that about, you know, people that have the ability to take uncertainty and, and create opportunity from it. It is often, you know, people in difficult situations doing difficult things. It's not always, you know, the, 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 the perception of the, the shiny, you know, it's really gritty actually. And it takes courage. And I actually listened to I listened to a guy being interviewed. I really wish I could remember his name right now, but he he's basically become like a, a multimillionaire who gives advice to people about the about stocks and shares and investing. And he basically, you know, I think he used to be actually um, he grew up in 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 poverty. He grew up in in drugs and gang culture in in America. And actually, he was a drug dealer. And he said that through his years of learning the the drug dealing life that he had, the the kind of uncertainty, as you put it, he said that he was running multiple businesses. And actually, all of the different things, whether it was supply chain, whether it was demand, whether it was, there was all these things that he learned through being a drug dealer, which of course, you know, there's there's, there's the parallels that he took, which then he then used to create this, this 
wealth for himself, wealth for others in a way that he could teach people and say to those people who don't have the access, don't have the knowledge, don't have the skills to say, to even think about, okay, learning stocks, the stock market, investing, all of these things. And he tries to break it down for them now in a way that is like, look, you don't have to be a drug dealer on the streets. You don't have to be a CEO or or a, a, somebody who's working with millions and millions of pounds, but exactly that that you described. People who can see opportunity and people who can, as I said, like it takes courage and it's really gritty sometimes, but those people, we need to learn from those people. We need to be those people. We need to, to have those frameworks ourselves in order to deal with yeah uncertainty of life of career of of as you say pandemics like all of these things so it's really yeah super fascinating and as i said what i wanted people to take away from this is the excitement the positive message and, and i think i know one of the things that's come out of the uncertainty experts documentary is around improving creativity for people and like you said to helping people to find new ways to solve problems you know productivity and, and this word resilience again so if, if there are some things that we can really take away from this last 18 months maybe that's where we should start yeah the the positive upsides of the show were were a huge surprise to me. I mean, I thought we were going to do something that could help people, but um, I was I, I was really naive. And I was I was in, in the sessions I was I was running them when I was workshopping the thing. I was asking people as they came in, you know, how do you rate your ability to turn uncertainty into opportunity out of ten? And then I asked them again at the end, and, and there was an increase in the score. Right, and that's not particularly scientific, but it was interesting. And I got introduced to a neuro. Well, actually, I got introduced to a creative scientist who has a specialism in neuroscience and behavioral psychology. She's daunting. She's got three masters and <laughs> just kind of, um, and also a, a background of real uh, uncertainty. And she was able to explain to me why there was this consistent pattern across these individuals and why they'd managed to do so well. Like they'd managed to unlock what, they, and in many of the interviews, they all used the same term, which was superpowers. And she explained why, why that was. Um, there is a heightened state of arousal when you go into a, a moment of uncertainty. And we, we know this like commonly as the kind of fight or flight mechanism. So it's, it's deep, down it's called the sympathetic nervous system it, it's an ancient part of being a human being it comes out of the limbic part of the brain which is the the original and first part of the brain to evolve before we had the decision making executive functions at the front that allow us to be imaginative and everything else so it's base to who we are and actually it's interesting it's not just you know everyone knows of fight and flight but there's actually seven fear responses that are pre-programmed into a human being fight flight freeze uh fawn as in you know tr try to ameliorate the situation um Feed, fuck, is another one, another way that human beings have got themselves out of situations. And so we've only got this limited range of, of, of responses to fear. And, uh, but the, 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 the chemical release that takes place when they're triggered puts us into this optimum state of performance, like the adrenaline that comes into our body, our ability to, you know, we're, we're, we're measurably able to go faster, think faster, see more, heightened arousal. We're up, you know, optimum selves because we need to be in that moment that's supposed to be a temporary measure right um like for running away from the saber-toothed tiger when you know the, when the threats of life were existential on a daily basis but now those things are triggered by the state of anxiety that we're in they're, they're, they're triggered because we've seen the news because we're worrying about the world our kids are going to grow up in because you know there's a pandemic going on now we're not supposed to be in a prolonged state when you have mm. cortisol and adrenaline going through the body for a prolonged state it's a killer i mean it does everything from your bones to your teeth to your sex drive to your metabolism everything mm. so there's a real issue here but there's also something it does to the brain so yale university did this really great study last year 
And it shows that in these moments of uncertainty, aside from the physical effects, the brain goes into a heightened state of arousal and learning, an ability to absorb information which is greater than the day-to-day. So in this moment of uncertainty, your brain has to go onto overdrive because it's assessing all the possible risks that are coming into play. And this unlocks something that's called neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to grow like to increase the synaptic links, which are basically the kind of the wires between the, the, the parts of the brain. So information can flow around faster. And if, if you were looking at a brain scan, uh, a brain in a period of uncertainty lights up, like blood flows around faster. It literally heats up. And it was thought that this, you know, after about the age of 20, mid 20s, that this wasn't possible anymore. Yeah. And the human brain began to atrophy after that point and your memory gets worse and everything else. And it's just not true. Mm. Uncertainty creates neuroplasticity. So, there is not just creativity, but, but cognitive growth, the ability to do more, see more, be more, mm. comes out as our response. So really uncertainty is a choice. It is a, a moment of breakdown because it does trigger anxiety, yes, and it does trigger dissonance and shut down the, all those negative responses. And that is fundamental and part of your protective system. And you will never, ever, ever be able to be rid of that because that's who we are. But there is a choice, new, I mean, psychologically, to override some of those uh, features and respond to it differently and realize there are going to be benefits out of this. Mm. And the show showed us. Yeah. This amazing scientist, Catherine Templar-Lewis, hooks me up with University College London. There's a, there's a very, very niche laboratory within brain sciences called the Decision Making in Uncertainty Lab. Wow. <laughs> they, they put a, a measure together before the show and after the show that assessed open-mindedness, decisiveness, um, resilience, uh, empathy, a thing called metacognition, which is our ability to understand our own thought processes, um, preference for predictability, discomfort with ambiguity. I mean, such a range. And we saw significant increases, statistically significant increases on all measures. Mm. Like the last thing, I, I mean, like you, I don't have a degree. I, I couldn't be further away from academia. I, I feel uncomfortable even going back into schools when I do talks. And there I am suddenly with like PhDs putting together rigorous control groups. <laughs> so out of my depth. And it came back like one of the most successful psychological interventions that they'd ever worked on. Wow. And I, I mean, they were staggered. I was, I still am. Well, in some, way, in some ways I am. And then in some ways I'm not because I'm kind of going, you know, these things aren't cliched for a reason, right? About, you know, the greater the struggle, mm-hmm. the greater the strength. And, you know, I certainly mm-hmm. think, you know, the, the neuroplasticity piece, you know, I'm a huge, huge advocate of this, you know, the growth mindset piece that you can always acquire and, and learn new skills and put them into into practice and application. I'm, I'm all about that. But actually, even in my book, I touch a little bit, not a lot, but I touch a little bit on the fact that, you know, growing up, I certainly had to do a lot. I had to do things out of necessity. And so therefore, I think it also, as well as, as you said, the the, the pathways lighting up in the brain and you figuring out how to retain more information and, and to learn new things and to do things practically. I also think with that, at some point with this resilience piece comes a confidence and an and, and, and innate confidence that you can't teach to someone, you can't give it to someone. So now as a, as a mother myself of a 10-year-old son, you know, he has a very different life to, to, to the life that I had when I was 10. And so the things that I learned to do out of necessity, you know, whether it was cooking, whether it was taking care of younger siblings, whether it was, you know, I think I put a wardrobe together once following flat pack, you know, furniture things. And it's like, 
my son doesn't do half of those things because he hasn't had to learn them. And it's always this, yeah, I guess this, the flip side, you know, if you turn anything, if you have a dial and you turn it all the way down, you know, to, to being a weakness, you can turn it all the way up and it can become a strength. And I definitely think that, you know, as you said, the, the UCL, that lab sounds fascinating, but that research and the kind of what came out of it of saying, actually, when you dial that up and it becomes, whether it's uncertain, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a fear response, somewhere through that, something good's going to come because we're human beings and we constantly we we constantly adapt we constantly evolved and like you said back against the wall underneath pressure i do believe that we come out better for it every time without a doubt and and yeah it's, it's an interesting um paradox i think many of us face it's the same you know i uh i know the experiences of my childhood being you know, it's one of the reasons I found separation so traumatic. I was in a single, brought up in a single parent family. I did a lot. I had a lot to do. Was a home carer, and 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 both didn't want that for my children, but also recognised what it gave me. And you know, and now have this kind of new guilt paradox. Like, am I am I spoiling them by giving them the things that I think I didn't have? But at the same time, you know, what do we kind of miss out on? And one of the questions that's posed in the uncertainty experts by a, one of the most, rem- I mean, they're all pretty remarkable. Um, Dr. Vivian Ming, who kind of grew up as a as a man with severe depression, near suicidal, almost took his own life one terrible uh, night, um, and then kind of comes to terms with kind of the, the deep struggles he's got, and, and reveals to his then fiance that actually gender transition is is what what he believes is his path, and uh, is supported by his fiance and then his wife, and, and becomes a woman, and and also you know really unlocks then all these other aspects and attributes to his her life. Um, and is now you know, one of the world's leading computational um, neuroscientists and just incredible um, person. He invented a, she invented a, um, a system that allows bipolar sufferers to predict manic episodes with a 95% accuracy. So like, you know, the, wow. just one of his her many projects. Um, and she speaks very, very clearly about um, it being fundamental to human uh, uncertainty being fundamental to human survival in fact it's the driver of human survival so like you say sometimes when our back's against the wall and and so if it's done intentionally by seeking out instances of uncertainty we will always be opening up our, our neural pathways keeping ourselves stimulated and even if it's just choosing a different way home even if it's going outside the menu even if it's just doing something new you're actively stimulating all these aspects of our of our brains and, and, and creativity it's an exercise and she speaks eloquently about um the exercise she extols to her children, having discussed the same parallel. She wrote a brilliant book called How to Robot Proof Your Kids. Mm-hmm. And essentially what she talks about is the, the, the creating an appetite for uncertainty amongst our children and you know, a, a deep-seated desire for curiosity. And, and she kind of sums it up as if you can get your kids to love learning, that is the 21st century skill to always be trying to curiously find out what's next so we don't need to stay in the kind of short-term worry of are they having the experiences that help shape us we just need to make sure they are constantly seeking out the new and they are not playing it safe because playing it safe is as misleading as the new normal playing it safe will never make you more safe Wow. Yes. And this lifelong learning is, I love that. An appetite for lifelong learning and curiosity. Absolutely. They can't, can't go too far wrong if they have that. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So I'd love to talk to you, Sam, about the Power Hour, because this is the Power Hour podcast, of course, and it's kind of like a good place to lead on to, actually, when you were talking then around intentionally choosing uncertainty. So I'd love to explore maybe what that could look like and if there's any like practical things that we could start to, to do, maybe even this week, maybe in, in our Power Hour, to say, okay, let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's experience a little bit of uncertainty, maybe in a controlled way, to to challenge us to think differently. So first up, with the concept, I guess, you know, for me and for the listeners of the show, they'll be very familiar with the, the idea of taking the first hour of your day to use it intentionally to focus on something or, or do something for yourself and to start your day in a way that you it, that you want to. So I'd love to know how do you, Sam, start your day? Typically, what time and what does the first hour look like? Uh, um, I have developed a really... Um... I can't, I've wanted to break it for years, but a very early start to my day. And it began when writing Be More Pirate because I had small children and I and I was still running Liberty, my social enterprise. And so the only time I could do this was, was in the really early morning. And I've always been good and clear-headed in the morning. And it just started creeping earlier and earlier and earlier. And, and once I was then regularly getting up around five o'clock, um, uh, it's just kind of become my natural body clock. And I say that cautiously because I think there is a bit of an unhealthy club around the 5am club sometimes, and it can be a bit hustle. It can be a bit on, you know, sometimes it can even be a bit, um, uh, I think uh, aggressive. Um, and it shouldn't be competitive because people do have different uh, patterns, but anyway, this is where I find myself. And the, the, one of the uncertainty experts has this amazing quote that I've, I've kind of come to live by and it's, what she learned in, in prison and uh, she's now she's changing laws and saving lives around the world. And she says, it's very often the case that the hardest choice is almost always the right choice. And so there's a thing that I do within that hour every single day. And it's to look at the things that I'm supposed to do that day and to try and make a to-do list of one thing. Mm. And, you know, we all know what to-do lists does and 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 we've again we've seen this in the in the uncertainty experts it's a kind of false safety if you just write a bunch of stuff down on the list it doesn't mean it's going to happen but at least you kind of organize it in your head what becomes much harder is to decide which are the most meaningful and significant and important things and what i've learned or i've begun to think a bit like when when are we going to feel like we've grown up right uh, i've become convinced that the that the more strategic and more productive you're going to be the shorter your to-do list is because you're more able to say no but the mission I've had over the last few years, and I got this actually from meeting one of my heroes in life, um, is to try and boil it down to one. And if you could just choose one thing from your list and you had to choose that one thing at the cost of everything else, and this is what makes mm. it the hard choice, that one thing that you'd do today and it would mean that nothing else got done, what would that one thing be? And very yes. often something comes to the top of the list that is not at the top of the list, right? It's not the thing you want to do. It's the thing that's actually causing that fear response in you. And so your your innate abilities, your subconscious abilities are pushing it down. They're going, da, da, da. They, they want to pull other things up because they want that little dopamine hit. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's why every single person listening to this has put something on a to-do list that they've already done just so they can cross it off because you, you get Absolutely. a little hit of dopamine. You're like, oh, great. So your your internal systems are playing it safe and they go, let's do these things. Let's do these things. 
right? Because then we'll get dopamine. Great, 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 great. And so suddenly your, your to-do list looks a bit sh- sh- difficult. And, and then before you know it, you're caught up in all sorts of stuff and distraction and that big thing gets pushed to tomorrow's list. Mm. So the power hour really for me is about a very tough choice, which is what's the one thing we're going to do today at the cost of everything else. And now let's get started on that. I absolutely love this. I literally did an Instagram story this week and I talked about Gary Keller, the one thing. And I said, I talk about and think about the book often and I haven't quite got it down. I'll be really honest and transparent with you. I have not mastered that at all. I I, I still write my to-do list. And then what I tend to do is I have what I call like my my three non-negotiables. So I'll put a little asterisk next to three things and those three things are non-negotiable. So no matter what happens, one of them's usually, you know, professional, one of them's usually personal and then something else. And I'll say those three things are non-negotiable. And if everything else on the list doesn't get done, you know what? It's okay. So I'm certainly not close to being able to just eliminate it down to one. Uh, I need to work on that and, and saying no. I mean, I am a recovering people pleaser let's put it that way so so learning to say no <laughs> and to and to know that no is a full sentence wow that changed my life so yes okay cool people can start their power hour start to eliminate it down to one thing and maybe just for this week after hearing this conversation i'd love it if that one thing could be yeah something that really you know we've talked a lot about change we've talked a lot about fear of uncertainty and and having the courage to to, to kind of push through that so i'd be really really encourage everyone to really think about that can you rethink what that one thing needs to be because maybe you think yeah, for example it has to be something to do with work or it has to be something to do that's productive so maybe even just rethinking that as a start yeah i, I like and it's you find you find examples of it everywhere and i once interviewed uh, ken livingston the then mayor of london and he's a bit of a divisive figure and he said some unfortunate things but um in his two terms in mayoralty and my question was always and i, I got the original insight from dr mohammed professor mohammed yunus um the only entrepreneur ever to win a nobel prize and i get to you know i always have the same instance i meet these very very interesting people and all the interesting questions disappear and i'm just like obsessed with but how do you get stuff done <laughs> like how does someone with as much stuff how did you get like, how did you get the olympics organized i mean he was kind of central to it along with tessa jowl and and he said he split his week in half and half the week he was mayor and did all the stuff that was in his inbox and the other half the week he only did the olympics from yeah. 2004 whenever it was he came in that's all I did. So there is this, I've never known a success story that, that didn't in some way both have a lot of mess in it, but also a lot of focus. And and it's a difficult choice to make. And, and many of us shy away from it. I think three things is probably a much better solution than trying to get for one because it's deliberately difficult. Um, but it does unlock all of those, all of those opportunities. And we're so uh, hardwired to, to kind of distract ourselves from the task in hand because we don't like the uncertainty of it. If you give yourself one or just three things, it makes everything a bit of jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what we like. We don't like, you know, it's, it's not the body's natural, comfortable state to feel like it's a bit all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not to say it is, and we're not to put us in these kind of precarious positions. But those tough choices, they do pay off. And that's yes. what leads us down the and down actually, the path to have less regrets looking back to where we are. Yes, absolutely. And actually that even having one thing or three, I think it does make it more binary. And so maybe that's why, again, you know, uncertainty, if you've got 12, 20, however many things on your to-do list and you get through a few of them or half of them, at least at the end of the day, you're like, oh, well, I got I got a lot of things done today. I achieved a lot, you know, I got a lot done. Whereas I think if there's one thing, it definitely makes it more binary because you either did it or you didn't do it. So I think, again, it's kind of how we how we think about what we want to actually achieve and why, you know, going back to, as you just mentioned, the, the, the missed opportunity or the risk and risk is something I'm really, really going to 
kind of explore more because I had a conversation with a really good friend yesterday about risk. And then his viewpoint is that people don't take enough risk. People should, you know, uh, be more willing to, to kind of, yeah, I guess roll the dice. And that's when the, the best things um, come off in business and in life. But I do think that risk is, again, very complex. I feel like we're going to start a whole nother episode about risk, but I think it's different for obviously for different people, given their experience, their background, their skills, their knowledge, and even just, you know, their gender and their race. So, yeah. It is, all of these things are based on our experiences and you're completely right. And you know this, and you've got a very, you've got a brilliant and broad grasp of the psychology. And I think one of the, one of the many reasons you're so brilliant and, and loved is because you, you break it down incredibly well as well. You make it accessible without losing any of the complexity. Um, but the, 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 the most positive thing that's come out of this experience of the uncertainty experts is that your relationship with risk and uncertainty and creating opportunity yes of course it's informed by the life that you've had but it is malleable it is adaptive you can train it and the number one thing i took away from the show is all of these negative responses to uncertainty most of us were walking around and we're not actually aware of the decisions that are being made in our bodies that are locking us down one of the most staggering statistics i discovered in all the research was around negativity bias so all of this stuff that we've been talking about can summed up in negativity bias and it's kind of a fundamental to the point of change where we began human beings natural negativity bias is one in ten so that's how you survive every 10 scenarios that present themselves to you nine of them you'll identify as a risk and probably not do them and one you'll let through and go, okay that's how i go and find the opportunity in, in all that's around me it's widely believed by psychologists who have risen to around 200 to one with all of the complexity of the the, the 21st century so of every 200 instances that are going on around you and of the million data points that your body and brain are picking up on only one of each 200 is your filtering system, your protection system saying, yep, okay, you can try that out. And if you extrapolate that to a day, right? So, you know, divide the number of minutes in a day by 200. Um, there's about 15 minutes in every day when you're thinking, yeah, okay, I'll give that a chance. And the rest of the day, your body and brain are shutting things down and going, nope, don't go there. Don't look at that. That's a bit risky. Don't want this. And that's, that's our natural default position. So of course, change feels scary. But that's what you're working against. That's the, that's the baseline. That's the subconscious system. So when we make these profound choices about what we're going to do today, or when we're looking at uncertainty and trying to you know, seek the positivity and seek the, the opportunity, it's worth knowing this like, and giving yourself a break. <laughs> you're already born with this natural protection system, which is heightened because of the circumstances around you, all of which is beyond your control. So just know that we're starting from this baseline and then lift ourselves up and then just seek to increase the amount of positive openness that we have the the, the willingness to sit with difficulty and and it's malleable and over time you know we, you know all this because i've heard you talk about comfort zones and the stretch you know it is malleable and we will adapt around it and the things that feel difficult today three months from now you'll be able to laugh at it's just like any other muscle in the body Yes. And also, wow, what are we missing out on? You know, that one in 200, I'm thinking that's 199 things. It's like, what are you missing out on? And it's like, you know, I spoke to somebody about this this week and said, you know, if something, you know, if you, for a visual representation, that, that kind of fear, that kind of fear of failure or fear of embarrassment or fear of criticism or rejection or whatever your fear is, is literally standing in the doorway. And it's like, it's not letting anything in and it's not letting anything out and you're not doing anything. You're just, you're just stuck. And yeah, that 199 opportunities or, or people you could meet or questions you could ask or wow, that is 
that's what I'm going to take from this. That is a really, really, really great place to finish. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us on the podcast. I really hope, listeners, that you've enjoyed this episode. And actually, Sam, can you tell us where people can connect with you, where they can find out more about the Uncertainty Experts and how long is the immersive experience? How long is that running for? Sure, I will. But when we come, when I have, are you going to tell us what the regret that you want to avoid is? Otherwise, uh, the listeners will be left wondering. And I wouldn't want that regret. Um, The Uncertainty Experts is a three-part interactive live documentary. It's going to be broadcast in November, November the 9th, 16th and 23rd. There is no catch-up. There is no record. There is no binge opportunity. It's three weekly episodes. And if you're old like me, it's like, how are you to watch EastEnders? If you missed it, you missed it. Um, You can go to uncertaintyexperts.com right now where there's a free version of the evaluation. So without signing up, without coming, you can get an uncertainty tolerance test um, and a score and you'll get some, some simple kind of tips and guidance on the back of that. Or you can join the series and watch all three episodes consecutively over three weeks. There's loads of extra content that comes in between produced by documentary makers and scientists. And we promise to do our very best so that you will come away with an increased tolerance to uncertainty as a result of the show, as, as everybody who went through the pilot did. And you'll get a personalized profile at the end of all of that, um, giving you your scores and giving you guidance and tips as to how you can continue on your journey of increasing your tolerance to uncertainty. Wow. Well, I highly recommend that you check that out. And I'm definitely going to do so myself. And I'm such a data person that I just cannot wait to find out this information and have this score that you just described. So yes, please do check that out. And also let us know, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with others, reach out, get in touch with both of us and let us know how you got on with and what your score is and how you found the experience yourself. If you'd like to come on it, would you be my guest? I'll send you, I mean, actually, I'll send you a ticket now. And if you want if if there's kind of thing that's useful to you and the community, then I'll set up a power hour um, redemption code. So we'll put 20% off, put it up there, and then you can do it. If people want to do it, we can all do it together, and I'll come back and we can talk about it and see see whether we manage to... Pr- I can reveal your scores <laughs> live on air, and we'll see whether you, we manage to move the needle on you, who I imagine has got a pretty high tolerance to uncertainty already. So let's see if we can even move your scores. Wow, okay, here, here we go. I mean, we said it, so let's do it. Yeah, if you could give us that code, that would be awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, I'll also put it on Twitter. Anyone who wants to find it, I'm sure they can get in touch. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to say yes in the given the conversation that we've had. I don't want to miss this opportunity. So yes, Sam, I'm in. All right, I'll set the code up now, and I will get the scientists ready, and we will we will measure your brain before and measure it afterwards, and we'll find out what we can do. I bloody love this. This is so up my street. I love it. <laughs> okay, this is great. And you know what? I as as I don't want to leave you hanging with the the question. So. We established that my greatest fear is is complacency. And so you're asking me what would be the one thing that I don't want to regret at the end of my life, which is, wow, you know, didn't expect that today. So I <laughs> wish I had a bit more time to prepare. I really think for where I'm at right, right now in my life anyway, I think I don't want the regret to be that I didn't share and tell the truth and share my ideas and share my feelings and whether that's to people that I love, whether that's to, I don't know, writing ideas in a book, I don't want to regret not doing that. So I don't know if that's a very succinct answer, but I think just keeping things, yeah, wasting them, basically. I think everyone's given something, whether it's a voice to speak, whether it's a, you know, a skill of, of to, to be an artist, whether it's a, I don't know, whatever, but I think wasting it because of fear, because you're afraid that, you know, it won't be you won't sell a million copies or you'll be embarrassed or someone will criticize what you've done. I think for so many people, that is why they waste 
the skill or the talent or the gift they've been given from God. So that's mine. I want to share of whatever little value I can. I want to share it. It's that last line that will lead to that being a regret. Because you, as you were saying that, I was I was smiling and I was thinking that that this is great because there's no chance of that regret. I think you're one of the few people I find on social media genuinely inspiring because on the whole, you know that social media is so filtered and I find it pretty, I'm, I, I, I struggle with it to be really honest. Mm. And uh, when I was working with, um, to, to, to get this show underway and knowing that it's a really useful channel and trying to identify people who actually do it well, who share well, who share things that are useful, who don't feel like they're being you know, trite or, or, or inauthentic. And yet they're also aware that this is a, a platform with a lens to it. And I think you do that brilliantly. I really do. Um, and then you just had that last line of what little value I've got. Like, and there it is. There's, there's that imposter in all of us. There's that fear. You say something so brilliant and so true and so connected to your future. And then it can bring you back into now. And then doubt, you know, it's with us always, isn't it? Mm. And the reason that regret might come is because of those last few words. So next time you say that out loud, for me, and I know that everybody who follows you feels the same, we all know that's true. And, and try and reduce the amount of times you say those last few words until they don't come. And then that regret is less likely to come too. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much. Wow. This has been so powerful. Praise indeed. Thanks everybody for tuning in. As always, I hope you've loved this episode as much as I have. Have an awesome week and we'll be back next week. See ya.